Do you want to live freely and lightly in your purpose and passion? More than ever, we need to learn to live in rhythms that help move us forward. Welcome to the Exhale Podcast. This is Holly Newton, founder of Exhale Women, and I am your host. Welcome back. I am excited about this conversation today. We have Nicole Zasowski. Did I say that right? Yeah, you did great. great. I'm impressed. <laughs> great, great. Nicole is a licensed marriage and family therapist and the author of From Lost to Found. As an old soul who wears her heart proudly on her sleeve, she enjoys writing and speaking on topics that merge her professional knowledge, faith, and personal experience. Nicole lives in Connecticut with her husband and three young children. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking time to be on with me today. Oh, I'm so excited to talk with you, Holly. This will be fun. I am very excited. So your new book is called, What If It's Wonderful? I would love, let's just jump in. Tell us about your new book and the story that led you to write it. Absolutely. So I, uh, the last decade have really, you know, I don't think our seasons are ever all pain or all joy, uh, but certainly we have seasons that lean in one direction or another. And this book was really born out of a season that could largely be characterized by change and loss. And when you experience loss, um, there's there's what happened, there's the loss itself, um, and, and then there's the cost. And the cost is the impact to our sense of identity and our sense of safety. And what took me a really long time to realize is that part of the cost for me of that painful season was that my joy was accompanied by a lot of fear. Um, I was afraid to celebrate. Dreaming felt foolish. Um, I was scared that hope would make a fool of me. Um, And it felt easier to keep my expectations low, wait for the other shoe to drop, prepare for the worst case scenario, And after years of living this way, I was really, really grieved when I basically woke up one morning and realized a lot of the loss was not just the loss itself, but my refusal to embrace the joy that was right in front of me. Um, And I thought, I don't want to miss my beautiful God-given life because I am so busy preparing for the worst. And so that really sent me on this uh, quest, really, um, because it was an intentional, <laughs> not not just a journey, but but a real searching for um, what scripture has to say about joy and celebration, what neuroscience has to say about joy and celebration. Um, I'm a therapist, so both of those things fascinate me. Um, And it just opened up this whole new understanding of how to look to the future with an expectant heart and what it looks like to engage with God in the context of our joy. Mm. Wow, that is, um, everything you're saying is is so powerful. And I have seen that in um, some of the women in our ministry, you know, that we minister to um, Mm -hmm. exactly what you're describing, but I've never read a book from this angle. So I'm so excited that you've released this into the world. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. Very amazing. Um, I like how you say, um, you explain it, how you kept your expectations low Mm -hmm. and 
you know, it's like a refusal to celebrate the joy, waiting for the next shoe to drop. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I think a lot of people do get caught in that trap without realizing it. And then they wake up from it, hopefully, eventually. But what do you think are the most common reasons that people are hesitant to celebrate? Yes, this was so interesting to me because as I was going through this personally, of course, the world is sort of holding their breath these last two years, waiting for things to be canceled and waiting for another disappointment or even devastation. And so even though um, I had my personal story I had so many conversations with clients and friends and family members and realized, oh, most of us are feeling this way. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people said this book has put words to an experience I've carried my whole life and never realized. Yeah. Um, but then certainly this last season that the world has walked together has highlighted that and held up the mirror to that even more. And so this is not an exhaustive list, but I've I've basically deduced that there's five major reasons that we are hesitant to celebrate. The first is what we've been talking about, that our joy is accompanied by fear. Most people don't realize that joy is actually the most vulnerable feeling we feel. Brene Brown talks a lot about that. Um, so a lot of us... We call ourselves realists, um, but it's not a personality thing. It's a protective thing. We just manage our expectations and try to become invulnerable by refusing to celebrate um, in in an attempt to protect ourselves from disappointment. Mm. Side note, all that does is protect ourselves from delight, and it doesn't work, but we can come <laughs> back to that later. Um, the, the second reason is our... our definition of celebration is very narrow. Um, we've, we've reduced it to a reaction to good news or some sort of reward for an accomplishment. And most of us enter a transition, for instance, like a new year where there's all this talk about goals and dreams. And we think, a lot of us get really anxious because we think, oh, I just hope I have a reason to celebrate. Um, and we aren't considering it what it actually is, which is a rhythm of remembering God's faithfulness. Um, it's a, it's a rhythm that we can practice to cultivate joy, Mm -hmm. not simply a byproduct of some sort of change in circumstances. Um, and so that is a major through line in the book. Um, and I talk about ways to practice celebration and none of them, um, well, I should say all of them are available to anyone, regardless of what kind of season this is for you. Mm. The third reason is a lot of us, especially, um, Christians, I think we're unsure of how to reconcile this invitation to celebrate with our value of humility, We worry that celebration is somehow self-aggrandizing or puts us on center stage, um, and we don't know how to do those two things well. Um, And those two things can absolutely be done well and at their best are a beautiful pair, um, but a lot of us are confused, and so we just stay quiet. Um, The fourth reason is that, of course, 
we're all in community and we all are friends um, with people who might be living a very different kind of season than we are. And we're afraid that our celebration is going to somehow add insult to injury to someone else's pain. And so rather than doing entering both of those experiences together, we just stay quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the fifth reason was one that surprised me, um, and it kind of came to me in my research, but I realized growing up in the church my whole life, I had no context for what it looked like to engage with God closely in the midst of my joy. I had just walked through this really painful season where I needed Him so much, And therefore, I felt close. Um, I was so aware of my need, which cultivates intimacy with Christ. And it's almost like I pictured him walking me over uneven ground. And then when we got to ground that was soft underfoot, I pictured him saying, okay, have fun. You let me know when you need me again. Um, And I was sad and, and a little bit afraid that I would lose what I had, what became really precious to me in the dark, Mm. that I would somehow lose that relationship that I had with Christ in the light because I didn't really understand what it looked like to connect with Him in my joy. Mm. So those are the main hesitancies that we experience. Okay. That is, um, again, you are putting words to (laughs) things I think so many of us have wondered about and struggled with. Um, I I identify with a lot of these and have been through seasons where uh, I have experienced exactly what you're talking about. And um, we can be close to the Lord in our joy. Um, I, I, I know what it's like to walk in a dark season and to feel the closeness of God and then to get on the other side and to be fearful of losing that when really he's like, no, just come to me as you are, whatever season you are in, he, he is close. He is near. And, um, yeah, this is so good. Okay. Let's keep going. (laughs) So how is it helpful and hopeful to consider celebration a discipline? Mm. Yeah, I was, I was annoyed about this one at first (laughs) (laughs) because I thought, man, there's so many things in life that are, that require discipline and require practice. Like can't celebration just be something that comes naturally. It's just fun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then I realized how empowering this was um, because like I said earlier, a lot of us picture our joy and celebration on the far side of the realization of a dream or the achievement of a goal or some sort of change in circumstance. But to consider celebration a discipline means that it's a rhythm that is available to us now um, that helps us cultivate joy. If, you know, one of the things that was most helpful to me in, in this conversation was Um, looking at what celebrations looked like in the Old Testament when so many of them are beautifully outlined in detail for us there. And one pattern I noticed is that God's people didn't celebrate when they were in the mood to celebrate or 
because it was a good time or because they'd finished all their work and felt like they deserved a celebration. They celebrated in rhythm. They celebrated because it was time to do so, whether that was on Sabbath, whether that was once every seven years, once every 50 years. Um, And I love this because celebration at its best is a rhythm of remembering God's faithfulness and goodness and not a reward for our own. Mm. And it's something that plugs us in to um, hit the cadence of, of remembering who he is, recalling his character and remembering all the ways he's moved in our story. Mm. That's beautiful. <clears throat> so beautiful. Um, it's just, and it's biblical. Like, wow, yeah. <laughs> who knew the answer was in that? <laughs> yes. You know, because um, we do tend to think of celebration as, oh, we accomplished something or, oh, you know, this came to a close or this, you know. Yes. Of accomplishments rather than really celebrating God's faithfulness in our mm-hmm. lives. And that is something to celebrate and be grateful for. Um, how do you think painful seasons shape our celebration? Mm. Yes. Um, So I confronted this uh, in a new way a few weeks ago. Um, And and people had reached out who were in seasons of pain and asked me, you know, this book might not be for me right now. I'm really in a season of suffering. Mm -hmm. And of course, I'm never going to force anyone to read something at a certain time. But But with a lot of passion, I said, you know, all the more reason to pick this book up now because of celebration being a rhythm of remembering God's faithfulness. Mm -hmm. Um, We had a tragedy in our community uh, several weeks back, just a a car accident that um, was so devastating and and really rocked our little community. Mm -hmm. And I thought, gosh, here I am. I'm about to release this book on celebration. And I've said it's available to all of us in all seasons. And I do believe that. And what does that look like for me right now? And it was the most interesting thing because all day long, I couldn't think of a worse weather day in Connecticut. It was like just above freezing, Mm -hmm. sleeting, windy, dark, cold. It was just a miserable day, but all day long, I had this pull to go to the beach and pick up sea glass, which is my favorite thing to do when I'm just spending time alone with God. And I thought, okay, well, what does celebration look like um, when we can't rejoice? And once again, I was remembering him and, um, one one particular festival that I talk about in the book that was so helpful to me was the year of Jubilee. Mm-hmm. And I had never really studied it before. And I thought, okay, well, this looks like, this sounds like a big party where they kind of celebrate all year long. And there's a lot that's added and changed about their situation. Mm-hmm. And what I learned instead was all debts were canceled every 50 years. All slaves were freed, all property and uh, like all land and personal property were returned to their original owner. And I thought, isn't it interesting that the year of Jubilee 
really is involved so much release and not accumulation. Mm. And what it was, was the Israelites way of keeping a light touch on material possessions and inviting God to um, remembering him as their source of security in areas that they might be tempted to replace him. Mm. Um, And so there's a release, but in that release, we celebrate God as our ultimate security. And there's the Jubilee part that these things come and go. um, And we, we will walk many different kinds of seasons in our life, but we do get to celebrate um, a God who doesn't change um, even in the midst of circumstances changing and and not changing. Yes. Yes. That is so good. I love that. It's it's a Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was a release. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's, that's powerful when you Mm -hmm. look at that and study that. And isn't that so counter to the way that we tend to think of. Absolutely. And I, and I am not saying that exuberant, uh, lavish celebration isn't a part of beautiful celebration too. I think it absolutely can look like that and, and is included in the beauty of celebration. It's just not limited to that. Yes. Oh, that, <clears throat> that's very, um, I think that's, that's pivotal in mm-hmm. understanding what celebration is and, and what God intends for us. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, we talk about this last couple of years, more than ever, um, beyond the church walls, you know, our whole country has faced something we've never faced before as a country, right? And you have people in all different seasons, and people are still, some are still climbing out of that pit, and some are still searching for the one true God and the answer, how do we celebrate? How do we live life? How do we move forward? And I think what you're talking about and what you've written about is, um, is very key to that, to that rhythm. We talk in Exhale Women a, a lot about rhythms of grace, rhythms of rest in God, mm-hmm. like how we can work in rest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In his rhythms, mm-hmm. <laughs> as we because he has a rhythm for everything that we do, everything yeah. he's assigned us here for. He didn't put us here just to figure it out or just to get by. He right. wants us to live in the full power and authority of the cross of Jesus, mm-hmm. <laughs> which brings us victory. So I I'm just loving this. So we're talking about um, you know people. Um, in pain or painful seasons and what does that look like? And I can see how someone, you know, might ask that question, but I love that, you know, um, what you've written from in scripture shows us that in all seasons we can have and live in joy. Right. And, and that's worth celebrating. So, you know, when you have a friend that's going through something and they're in pain, um, most of the time we are better at comforting others in their pain than we are at celebrating them in their joy. So what do you think it looks like to truly rejoice with those who rejoice? Mm. Yes. So there's a Bible story that really kicked my tail on this one (laughs) that I'll, (laughs) that I'll share in a minute, but I, 
I, um, I read that call in Romans to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And that whole passage, the umbrella of that passage is unity. And so what Paul is saying is that part of, if you want to be a people of unity, we need to be willing to be interrupted by someone else's experience, whether that's joining somebody in the mud when they're really stuck in a lot of pain um, or when that's joining someone's joy. And I think where this gets really challenging is when that celebration of someone's joy steps on the toes of our own dreams, when it's something we would love to be celebrating for ourselves. And the story that was really challenging to me on this one, but also gave me a beautiful picture of what this looks like is when it's in Deuteronomy 3, and Moses, of course, has been the Israelites' leader through the peaks and valleys of that journey toward the promised land. And now they are so close to the promised land that scripture says when Moses goes up on this mountain, he can actually see it in the distance. Um, And I love Moses' honesty in this story. He just pleads with God, "Can can I please be the one? Um, He asked God one more time, can I be the Israelites leader to um, lead them into the promised land? Because we know that he had disobeyed God earlier in that journey, and God had told him that he wasn't going to be the one. And it's hard to ignore that God's language is quite strong (laughs) in this passage. (laughs) Um, It's an emphatic no, and it's a little bit of an adolescent parent tone where he says, and this is the end of the conversation. We are not talking about this anymore. <laughs> and end of discussion. Um, but what I'm really challenged by is what God says next. He said, I want you to commission Joshua. Mm-hmm. I want you to pour courage into him for the dream that you would love to have for yourself. Mm-hmm. And what stood out to me was that often when I think about this practically, you know, we've all stood in circles of friends and there's been good news announced or a circumstance, there's been some sort of breakthrough and maybe it, it does step on the toes of a dream that we had for ourselves that we haven't quite seen yet. And I do think as a caveat, we need safe places to process our painful feelings and our grief and to be honest about that. So I am not saying that we need to bottle that and squish that, that, that we need to have avenues to process that pain. And in conversations I've been a part of, I think what this often looks like is we just find a way to be okay with someone's joy and accept it and sort of like grit our teeth and bear it. Um, but in, in at its worst, I think this can look like a nasty game of comparison where we sort of say, well, she has that, but I have this. Mm-hmm. Um, and we sort of negotiate in our minds why we can be okay with someone else's joy. Mm-hmm. Um and what, what that Bible story between Joshua and Moses made so clear to me is no celebration, celebrating other people actually looks like actively helping them prepare 
for that dream or actively mm-hmm. celebrating. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, Holly, sometimes I just still don't feel like doing this. <laughs> like yeah. it's still feels really hard and painful. But what I know as a therapist is that feelings follow actions. Hmm. That if we wait to feel like doing something, sometimes the action comes, but often it's in the action, it's in the practice that that peace and joy follows. And so I, I think that's God's call and his encouragement to us in this story is I want you to practically help and celebrate your brother or sister in Christ that's living out the dream that you have too and and be a part of helping them prepare for that. Yeah, that and it's so against our natural tendency, right? Yeah, Again, sadly. You know, <laughs> I, I know, I know. I think I think comparison is one of the biggest thieves of our joy mm-hmm. um, when we get caught in that cycle. And I also think it's one of the biggest thieves of really learning who we are in Christ and the assignment he has for our lives. Yes. yes. Because if we're so busy wishing for somebody else's thing that may be a little bit in our lane or maybe fully in our lane, mm-hmm. we have to realize that God created each one of us with an assignment, with a purpose, with a calling and somebody else else's, you know, breakthrough or success doesn't take from what God can do in us no, and, and through us. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I love that you brought, brought that up. <laughs> the comparison game is not good for you, <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> but you do need a safe place to process that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So what are some of the ways that we can practice celebration today, even if our circumstances don't change? Mm, Yes. So the last third of my book, I certainly continue in personal story and in biblical application um, in in neuroscience research. And and along with that, um, get very practical in terms of what celebration looks like in our everyday lives. And as I mentioned earlier, all of these are accessible to all of us right now. You don't need to wait for good news or a shift in your circumstance, this is a way of celebrating the beautiful life you have with God right where you are. Um, And so my favorite on-ramp for this is a practice called savoring. And what I love about savoring is it celebrates the ordinary. So our brains uh, do not just drift toward joy. We are not uh, left on neutral, our brain actually leans negative. So there's a couple of reasons for this. The first is this phenomenon called the hedonic treadmill, which basically means our brains rapidly adapt to joy. So what's new and exciting and the gift that could make us want for nothing else, so we thought, um, quickly fades into the background and, and the glitter starts to flake off pretty pretty quickly. The second is uh, our brains are like Velcro for painful input and Teflon for joyful input. So our our brains are efficient. They're going to go through the day and they're only going to hang on to what they think they need, which is going to be the larger, more painful things that we might be inclined to worry about, not those everyday moments of delight or ways that we see God moving in our story. 
Um, and then the third thing is just our tendency as human beings to tell our joy how it can be improved upon. Mm. So, you know, if you give a presentation, let's say, and you feel really great about it, you had so much fun, you saw you were connecting with your audience with nods and smiles, and maybe you got a few compliments on your way back to your seat, and then you sit down and you feel so much satisfaction and you start thinking, huh, it would have been better if I had shared that story. (laughs) Or they said I was a good speaker. They didn't say I was a great speaker. And we start telling our joy what would make it better. So I mention all of this because savoring is how we counter the brain's natural state. It's our fight against that. Mm. Savoring celebrates the ordinary, and all those moments our brain would be tempted to dismiss. And the way that you practice it, I like to do it in the moment. So if I just have this frame, um, like a, a snapshot of my day where I'm delighted, could be watching my kids play really sweetly with each other, or it could be um, just a really colorful tree in the springtime that I'm driving past that it's finally bloomed, whatever it is, just a snapshot. You ask your five traditional senses what they're going to remember about that moment. Mm. So what do you see? What do you hear? What do you smell? What do you taste? And what do you feel? And that just helps your brain record that moment Mm. in a way that it can capture it and carry it forward and recall it later. Um, It it stores it differently when we go through that exercise um, of savoring a moment that our brain would be tempted to dismiss. Yeah. Love it. That's, that's fascinating. Everybody needs to get this book. (laughs) (laughs) There's lots more in that last third. I I am certain. Nicole, it's been a real joy to have you on and just to have this brief conversation. I want to stay on longer and longer. (laughs) I just want to keep talking, but, um, but let's tell our listeners um, how to connect with you. What's the best place to connect with you and where can they pick up a copy of what if it's wonderful? Yes, I love connecting with listeners and readers, so please reach out. Uh, Certainly, my website's a great place to do that. That's just Nicole Zazowski, N-I-C-O-L-E-Z-A-S-O-W-S-K-I.com. And you can buy What If It's Wonderful anywhere you like to buy books. Certainly, it's on Amazon or your local bookstore can get it for you if they don't have it. Mm -hmm. And uh, the social media outlet I hang out the most is Instagram. And I'm just at Nicole Zazowski there. Okay. Awesome. And this will be in the show notes as well. So uh, listeners, you can just go to the show notes, click on the links and it'll take you straight there. So Nicole, thank you again for being on with us. And um, thank you for listening to the Exhale podcast. Um, We will be back with you again next week. Thanks so much for listening to the show. We are here for you. 
You can find me super easy at Holly A. Newton on Instagram and Holly Newton Official on Facebook. I'd love to connect with you and hear how the show is encouraging you. And let's help others find the show so that they can also be encouraged in their purpose and passions. There's a couple of ways you can do that. One by subscribing and another is by rating and reviewing the show wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. And two, you can even screenshot, share in your stories, text it to your friends and family. And be sure to tag me at Holly A. Newton on the socials so we can connect.